Did you not feel that like weird? Is there a ghost here? No, like a like a high pitched. Never mind. I guess it was just me. That was real. What? Are we being attacked? <laughs> like the sonic thing? Uh, whoa. Sorry. Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for New Comics on sale January 2020. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Tucker, how are you? I'm doing I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm great. Got to watch my first full movie wow. in one sitting, Okay, which was Jojo Rabbit. Nice. Which was good. And then I followed it up the next day with the Muppet movie. Oh, come on. Which, man, that is... Full of nonstop zingers and bangers <laughs> and just running jokes and so perfect. Yeah, a film, and I have a an instant reaction to Rainbow Connection. Mm-hmm. Just start crying. Yeah, I can't help it. It's yeah. just it just happens. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, so so good. I'm kind of like in the complete opposite world to you because you are just inundated with a million different things and new baby and work and life and everything and. I'm I'm just a lone man. I'm just in the fortress of. Uh, we need a better name for it than yeah. that. Uh, uh, your sanctum alone <laughs> tour or something. Yes, just alone, and so I'm watching a ton of movies. Actually, yeah. uh, the complete opposite. Hit us with some of them. Um, okay, I, so this I weekend, I went for it. It's kind of a, like you just got to do it. I'd never seen it before. Citizen Kane. Okay, because I happened to catch like the last 30 minutes of the third man on Turner Classic oof, Movies. Oof. And I was just like giddy. I was yeah. just instantly so into it. And that put me in the mood for like an old timey Orson Welles, Joseph Cotton, are both those guys are in both of those movies. And so I was just like, all right, time to go for it. And then the next night I watched The Taking of Pelham 123 mm-hmm. from 1974, which blew my socks off. A lot of weird stuff in there. It doesn't age well in a sure. lot of ways, but in terms of just like its construction, in terms of that ending, I was literally alone at home. It was like 11.50 p.m. in the dark, clapping and going, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like laughing at the end. I uh, had such a good time. That's fantastic. Yeah. That yeah. makes me happy. It was great. Good. It was great. Good. We should be uh, full revelry when it comes to all the movies and the comics that we are checking out these days because this is our comic book show. We're going to tell you about every single new comic that is on sale this week as well as the new collections, and there's some great ones in that lot, and all the books hitting Marvel Unlimited, including House of X, but we'll get to all of that later we got to dive in because there's a ton of books. It's It feels like we're back in December or November yes. with the number of books we have this week. Let's uh, let's kick things off. All right, let's do it. So taking Pelham 1, 2, 3, 1974, 1975, 1976, All the President's Men. That's about a newsroom, and so is Amazing Spider-Man Daily Bugle number one. This is written by Mighty Marvel debutante Matt Johnson with layouts by Mac Chatter. And Francesco Mobley finishes by Scott Hanna, colors by Dono Sanchez Omara and Proto Bunker, and letters throughout by VCs Joe Caramagna. You know, I'm a sucker for a, a kind of newsroom story and getting to dive into the Daily Bugle itself and kind of follow the team as they go on this kind of investigative journey is so cool. I really love, in general, zooming out how. Marvel Comics have looked at the Bugle, and I guess specifically, like, as it relates to JJ and, like, the changing media landscape. So, like, having Robbie Robertson here being kind of of a more old school 
background, but he's working with this very unique team of reporters who can have different ways of doing things as they unravel this unique mystery, this unique story is really, really cool. I always, you know, I'm, I'm so fascinated by the great canvas that Spider-Man is and how a writer writes the character, how an artist tackles illustrating the character and that physicality and everything like that. So for Matt to have his first Marvel work include some stuff with the webhead himself is really awesome. Good for you, Matt. Uh, Mac as well. I, I, yeah. Like I tweeted about this book because I really dug it, and uh, I tagged Mac Chatter in it, the one of the artists, and he was just like, "Oh my gosh, being able to draw Spider Man is a dream come true." Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, there's a scene with uh, apartment residents talking yeah. to a reporter, and they're like yelling out their windows at each other, which, like. It, it has become a trope almost yes. in, in movies and television and stuff. And you're like, you're like, that doesn't, that happens. Like that <laughs> is a thing that happens. And, you know, I would talk to my grandmother about, she grew up in Hell's Kitchen, right. New York City. Real in deal. The, like 40s, 50s, yeah. you know, and it's sort of a throwback to that vibe, but it's real. It's there. And it, that scene in particular, like nailed it for me. I know. I, sometimes I worry, I wonder how much non-New Yorkers will understand or something like that. Right. Obviously, there's a universality to all of these things, and you get it no matter whether you live in Tulsa or in Blairstown, New Jersey, where I'm from, population 3,000. But it, it is funny. It's something that I think about constantly. Yep, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Something I also think about constantly is the Avengers. Oh, yeah. They are Earth's mightiest heroes. We've got issue number 30 of the series this week. It is by Jason Aaron, Ed McGinnis, and Francesco Mana, with inks by Mark Morales and Francesco with colors by Jason Keith and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Uh, this one is titled Nativity in the Stars. And there is a baby born in this issue. You better believe it. <laughs> this one is really cool because it's the final part of the Star Brand Reborn storyline, which has been fascinating because it got us really uh, different character designs. It brought us into space. It had Thor infected by the brood. Really wild stuff. This issue has the Avengers versus several Heralds of Galactus, as well as versus Gladiator of the Shi'ar, which is like a dream match. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you want to see that kind of like big, massive stuff. And you should see that in the pages of Avengers. It does give us, though, a brand new star brand in this issue. I love the star brand. It is this defense weapon for the Marvel Universe, but its origins go back to the New Universe series of comics from the mid-80s. I love that weird like bit of history and ties to things because Jonathan Hickman took the star brand concept and really brought it into the Marvel Universe with his Avengers and seeing someone like Jason bring that you know further and bringing new characters, all that stuff, I think is just... So terrific. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting because I've heard Jonathan Hickman talk about picking up on threads that Brian Michael Bendis has just like incidentally left in so many of his stories where it's just like, if you want it, it's there. If not, no big deal. No one's going to miss it or, or know it's it's really gone. So it's cool to see the lineage of certain things where it's like started here and then this person picked it up for a while and now this person's picked it up And then for you a while. can even see that with... Donnie picking up things yes. that Jason has left exactly. in the pages of Thor. It's, yeah. it's such a beautiful like passing of the baton, even unintentionally. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Speaking of Avengers, how about Avengers of the Wastelands? Number one, this is written by Ed Brisson with art by Jonas Scharf, colors by Niraj Manan, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. 
the Wastelands obviously have a big history in Marvel Comics, beginning with Old Man Logan and then running through the likes of Old Man Hawkeye, Old Man Quill. What I love about the Wastelands in general, it is a completely, obviously, literally different landscape, but not just in terms of the kind of topography, but in terms of how this place came to be. This is a result of the heroes losing. As a result of that, it's really cool to see certain mantles, certain uniforms, certain monikers being picked up by new people who bring new things to the likes of Ant-Man or the likes of Thor that we get to see in this book. It's really, really cool. There's an Ultron character Come on, here, man. which is awesome. I love that. That is like gets to right to the heart of what I love about the Wastelands because you can take something and and use everything that the reader knows about this character and spin it on its head and kind of weaponize the past of this character in a really, really cool way. Um, and it's something I actually heard director Ryan Johnson talk about recently where he said you can either use a viewer or a reader's previous knowledge of something in your story, whether that's on a meta level, like we know that Ant-Man used to be, you know, this character and this character, and now it's this new character. I think Ryan Johnson put it beautifully where he said, it can either be baggage or it can be ammunition. And I really love how Ed uses these things as ammunition in really, really interesting ways. And that doesn't always mean big bombastic battle ways. It can mean on these very little, unique, personal, individual relationship level ways. And it's definitely both in this book. But it is an Avengers team, and yeah. an Avengers team needs a Captain America. But we're not going to talk about that, Captain America. We need <laughs> our Captain America in Captain America number 18 by Tanahasi Coates and Jason Masters, with colors by Matt Mila, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Now, I really love what you said about the ammunition versus baggage. And there's a character that's been in this story floating around the dryad. Uh, who mm-hmm. is sort of the leader of the Daughters of Liberty. And we know her identity, but Captain America hasn't been, it hasn't been revealed to him yet. We see at the end of this issue where we are marching toward that. And I believe that is what we're going to get to next issue, which I'm psyched for. This also has some cool U.S. agent stuff in that book. Where we will not see U.S. agent is in the pages oh, of Captain Marvel, The End, which is a one-shot. And it is my first pick of the week. All right, let me set the stage real quick. The end books. If you have missed the other episodes where we've talked about the end books, these are, uh, in this iteration, one-shot stories where we tell a final tale of a character. This has a history at Marvel. We've done limited series. We've done other one-offs. These tend to be pretty bleak, and they tend to, you know, see some major changes to the world, but they are all, no matter what, about the final adventure of a character. And that is simply the same case here with uh, Captain Marvel The End, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Carmen Canero, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. It opens where you see Carol Danvers in, it's not binary form, but it is almost like this rainbow translucent beautifully colored version of her, like an energy form Mm -hmm. that we've not seen before in the year 2051, where she is just deep in space. She's helping people. Why is she not on earth? That's really where the story starts to open up. We get little hints of what has happened on earth and what has happened to humanity. And it is going to just destroy you. Mm -hmm. But there's something that brings Carol back to earth. And so one of the, my favorite things about a, the end story or even a what if or an alternate reality story is that we get to just like see our creators 
go nuts and come up with cool characters and ideas and designs. And man, Kelly and Carmen, who have been knocking out of the park together for the last year on the regular Captain Marvel, they work really, really well here, building an amazing world. And they don't, it's not like hammered into you like exposition that this happened and this happened and this, like they don't have to tell you everything. It's it's subtle. Like you can find little bits and pieces in there. I really like that. It wasn't trying to shove it down our throat. Just know that there's a wide tapestry. And I knowing Kelly, she knows every little detail of what happened in mm-hmm. this universe. There's one character who reveals their name in this issue, and I like it's again. It's it's one of those things. I don't want to spoil, but I immediately texted Kelly and I was like. This happened and I just like I was moved by it. It was so great. Then we went back and forth talking about the character design. She sent me Carmen's. We're going to actually have Carmen's character designs on Marvel.com so you guys can see that because I know Kelly wants to play in this universe more. Yeah. She's built so much in this one issue that she knows she has other stories to tell. I want to see more stories in here. But nonetheless, we still have this and it's, it's so beautiful. It's a wonderful ending or particularly an ending to Carol's story because that's what these the ends are. It's just a possibility. It is one way that these creators can tell this story. And man, I love it. It's brutal. It's sad. It's funny. It's heartbreaking. It is pretty much perfect. I think this will go down as one of my favorite issues of the year. Wow. Moving from one ending to an ending of a different kind, we have Conan the Barbarian number 12. This is written by Jason Aaron with art by Mahmoud Azrar, uh, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This is The Life and Death of Conan, Part 12. It is crazy to see this first kind of major storyline for Conan come to a close here because I remember coming into the office one day and it had a Daily Bugle kind of buzz about the place. This was maybe like two years ago. Everyone was working on the story of how uh, Marvel was going to be publishing Conan stories uh, again, and people were so excited. So to go from that through the end of this epic story, uh, as told by Jason and Mahmood, is really, really awesome. With this one, it is one of those that I I don't want to talk too much about um, in terms of plot details and things like that. I will say these creepy kids who have been after Conan – For this entire story, they're here again. And in a lot of ways, they're... The Tucker and Lorraine of the Conan universe. Wow. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. that that's definitely not me for sure. Anyway, let's keep um, going to uh, all the uh, blood in this issue. <laughs> yeah, to see Conan uh, go up against what he goes up against here is so awesome because it really feels like, for as huge as epic as these twelve issues have been, it feels like they've saved the biggest and best for last. Because paired with some of these monster creatures that Conan goes up against in this issue, I really wonder like what Jason wrote on the page to the editorial team and to Mahmood in terms of like how to visualize these things. I mean, Mahmood Asrar is an incredible artist. I would imagine he had a fair amount of free reign to just go crazy because there is some really, really otherworldly, strange, awesome stuff in here. And paired with that, it's kind of nuts knowing that not only does the editorial team have to put out an incredible book with some of Marvel's greatest creators. But then there's these pro stories and this 12 part story that we've been getting in the backs of these issues. 
I love the care and effort put into this because this doesn't have to be a thing. And taking the legacy of what Conan comics have been for decades and what Conan as a property has put out across novellas and across mediums is so, so cool. And I think it really speaks to how much the people here at the House of Ideas love and respect and revere this character and, and what it means on a bigger level. So just great stuff across the board and, um, you know, looking forward to more Conan in 2020. Yeah, and Matt Wilson's colors, man. Incredible. Dude, he's like the Derek Jeter of coloring, <laughs> in, right? That was insert. Yeah, and like <laughs> insert who's a sportsman that is, name here. <laughs> that is in my brain recently because I think he's going to the Hall of Fame. Right. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Whew, Incredible. Whew. So dang good. And we are going to get more Jason and Mahmood and probably Matt on Conan. They tease a King Conan story coming later in 2020. Very exciting. Oh, yeah. Another The End story that we have this week is Deadpool The End, number one. It's written by Joe Kelly with art by Mike Hawthorne and inks by Victor Olazaba, colors by Ruth Redmond, and letters by VCs. Joe Sabino. You could put this a million ways, but the way I think of it is just there is no holding back with this issue. It is insane. Yeah. Before you keep going, Tucker, I yes. crunched the numbers. Yes. You know that I love crunching numbers. Number cruncher. Yep. And so I uh, I did some, some digging. Joe Kelly has written rough somewhere around 50 issues of Deadpool stories, if you also count Spider-Man Deadpool, mm -hmm. the series that he uh, was on recently. Uh, and then artist Mike Hawthorne is probably the most prolific Deadpool artist with about 40 issues. Wow. So the two of them, different eras of Deadpool stories, but have two of the most important marks on the history of the character. Oh, yeah. that That is... Something that I actually thought a lot about when I was reading this because there's so much going on in here. So many different characters, so many artifacts, so many references, so many storylines, so many different bits and pieces and jokes packed, I mean, really stuffed in here that it feels like in the wrong hands, it can be just a kind of chaotic mess. But when you give this over to two of the greatest Deadpool all-stars ever, of course, it is just gonna work. I couldn't tell you how, but it just does. And the end of this issue is just pitch perfect for me because it is so Deadpool. It's so irreverent. It's so perfect in so many different ways. You have to read it to understand exactly what I'm talking about. That's how, how it threads the needle. Great stuff. Huge applause, as always, to Joe Kelly and Mike Hawthorne. We actually dig into that story and a whole bunch more on This Week in Marvel this week, where we talked to Jordan and uh, editor Chris Robinson. The two of them spearheaded all of the end titles and uh, got lots of good tidbits like that. And tidbits that we also dig into for Doctor Strange, the end, which is our next title. That is written by Leah Williams with art by Felipe Andrade, colors by Chris O'Halloran, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This one... If you will remember, last year we had a series of what ifs. It might have been 2018. Yeah. Uh, we had a series yeah. of what if issues, and they told different, you know, a bunch of different stories. There was what if a ghostwriter story. There were a whole bunch, but there was one that was what if magic became the Sorcerer Supreme, and that was by Leah Williams and Felipe Andrade, and it was really weird and cool, and and had this like gnarly style to it and got really heady with the mystical stuff. Well, the same team comes in, they do a story where Dr. Strange is the last mystic left. And like it's in a world where 
it's basically the technology side of things has taken over. No more magic. All the other magicians and magic practicers are gone. And so we get a really trippy story where Doctor Strange is basically hauling the bones of his friends across the the earth to get to a certain point and to try to re-spark the flames of magic. I love it. I think this was a great issue. I, I hope everybody checks it out. Uh, I love the art in that book, and I really love the art in this Doctor Strange book as well, which is Doctor Strange number two. This is Doctor Strange Surgeon Supreme. It is by Mark Wade and Kev Walker. Kev Walker, obviously such a unique visual presence in every book that he does. And I think there's a really great malleability to the way that he draws characters. It just brings a certain spirit to any book that he is on. And this one, I think, is so perfect given the story that Mark Wade is writing. His wrecker is a delightful yes. nightmare. Yes, exactly. The colors on uh, this issue are by Javatar Tagli and the letters are by VCs Corey Pettit. It all adds up to exactly as you're saying, psychotically detailed Marvel's pull list listeners will recall in episodes past a specific piece of art that has hung in the Marvel office's for as long as I've been around. Uh, and one of the characters on that piece of art, then I've referenced this before, is the Wrecker. Uh, and there's another character in here who I believe is also on there. It would have been his time period to be on there. And uh, so anytime I'm reading a story with the Wrecker or with this other guy. Uh, well, let's up, just say it because it's Dr. Druid. I love Dr. Druid yeah. so much. He's a balding, chubby <laughs> magician. Not the best but he's kind of like he's just you know what he's there he's making it happen yeah been bad he's been good he was trained by the ancient one man i love him this this story i think is so mark wade because he's taking these characters that you may or may not know he's pushing them to the center of this really really fascinating mixing swirling story up against stephen strange an all-time classic character on uh, doing it in, in a way that just feels so right you know it's kind of what you were saying with uh, captain marvel the end story where it feels very organic you're getting everything even if you're not as familiar with these kinds of characters it's all there on the page for you everything is very organic and, and really really great as a result yeah this series is just starting it's just kicking off but the next series is ending with issues Issue number six of Fallen Angels by Brian Hill is the writer. Art by Zimone Kudransky. Colors by Frank Darmada. Letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Design by ya boys, Tom Muller and Jonathan Hickman. Oh, yeah. This one wraps it up. It's weird. It's heady. It's got gods and devils and all kinds of action and adventure. And Bling is joining uh, X-23 and Cable in their wild firefight. Monster machine people. Uh, Sinister is doing all this nasty stuff. There is a gorgeous, gorgeous gorgeous splash page in here of Psylocke with like the psychic butterfly wings, what we used to see Betsy do as a projection, but now they are like full on wings behind her. And it was like, it was breathtaking. Uh, more great stuff comes in my first pick of the week, which is Hawkeye Freefall number two, written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Otto Schmidt and letters by VCs, Joe Sabino, Otto, all right, whenever you say Otto, and I don't know Otto Schmidt, I oh, love his work. Know where you're going. But anytime I hear the name Otto, I think of The Simpsons, and I think of <laughs> Otto from The Simpsons saying, my name is Otto, and I like to get blotto. <laughs> that is it, no matter what. I think of our friend that we met in San Francisco, Polis listener Otto. Otto! 
the greatest. Yes. Um, Our dude. Hey, Otto. Hope you're listening. still listening. Yeah. on board with us. Yeah. You're a young man, and <laughs> that can happen. I will not fault you. Yep, same. But Otto Schmidt is bringing it in this series. Perfect casting. Not just on a Hawkeye book, but to put him on a Matt Rosenberg Hawkeye book. He just brings an energy to it that I really adore. What I was most excited about, however, was that Matt Rosenberg writes Spider-Man in here. That is something that I've had in my mind forever as just something I need because I think Matt's skill set just lines up perfectly with this character. And I just love these scenes where we get to see Spidey pop in for a little bit. But we have all of that. And then we have this very, very, very intriguing swirling story going on around Clint Barton as allegiances are changing, as we're not sure what's happening. There's a bunch of things going on. I'm a fan of all of it. You know, this is quickly becoming one of my favorite books. I can already feel it. I can already feel it going. And I think a lot of that is down to the pacing. It's the the kind of lightness of this, this book that has incredible, awesome drama and fight scenes and all that stuff. But there's just something indefinable about it that just keeps you moving along, keeps you bouncing and bubbling along. It's really, really great stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody's confused about Ronan and Hawkeye. They're also confused about the Hulk in the pages of Immortal Hulk number 30. It's written by Al Ewing, pencils by Joe Bennett, inks by Roy Jose, Bellardino, Bravo, and Cam Smith, colors by Paul Mounts, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. They are confused by Hulk because... There is a misinformation campaign going on by Roxxon in here with these nightmare creatures. Like, I've seen all kinds of art in my life and things, and I've absorbed so much. I have a hard time focusing on Joe's monsters in this current story arc. These big kaiju-like creatures. I look at it, and my brain can't focus on it fully. And there's just <laughs> something like, where is the shape and what does it begin and end at? It's almost like Joe is drawing with like a cursed pencil, you know, <laughs> and like I'm seeing something that I can't fully see. I yeah. feel like I'm getting sucked into the friggin' comic book. Right. It's so good. Yeah. On top of that, finally, Zimnu mm. is here. We've seen him on the covers and all the previews, but the original Hulk, Zimnu, the Titan, the big white furry monster dude with the psychic powers, he shows up in the last page. And I didn't realize until I'm looking at it right now, the pose that he shows up in is a religious pose. It, the way his arms are, are positioned, it is religious iconography, and especially with a light and the shining behind him. Everything about it was like, man... These people, like this creative team is operating on another level yeah. consistently every issue. Yeah. It's so true. Hey, it's my second pick of the week. It is two in a row for me. And this is Jessica Jones Blind Spot number two. Uh, it's written by Kelly Thompson with art by Mattia DeUlis and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Two books, two picks in a row, two issues with artists taking care of everything from pencils to inks to colors. And that is no small part of why I love these stories. It's it's the level of control, but I think it allows for such a deep level of kind of specificity to the artist. You get to know the artist. You get to know what they like to do, how they like to operate, and what kind of stories that they're really trying to tell in so many different ways. It's in every ink crack and crevice something that I love nerding out about. It is just so, so, so good. I know 
Critically, this story is beloved. People love it. There's something about Kelly's ability to write Jessica Jones in such a unique way, in a, in a way that is so faithful to the character while also pushing this story forward in really intriguing, really different ways uh, is so, so cool. I think with Jessica Jones, there are certain tenets of who the character is in a, in a very specific way between who she is as a person, who she is as a private investigator, to her kind of um, demons and dealing with the Purple Man. There are very specific notes that I think are kind of prerequisites for someone taking on this character. And then from there, you can go crazy. But uh, I just love the way that Kelly utilizes those things and makes them her own, makes them different. It's kind of funny because I think Kelly definitely wrote this before she started working on Captain Marvel. So we get to see Kelly's Carol Danvers in here before she took over Captain Marvel series, which is awesome. Uh, we also get Misty Knight in here, which I love. There is Elsa Bloodstone, Elsa who Bloodstone. she's now writing in Deadpool. Yes. So it's a really fun way in, on that meta level to bounce back and forth between these things. But of course, it's all it's all just excellent, top, top-notch stuff. For my money, Kelly's Jessica Jones stories are right up there with Brian, yeah. Michael Bendis's Jessica Jones stories is like the perfect distillation of who the character is and the stories we can tell across every medium, which is yeah. like the best. If I'm remembering correctly, Kelly was Brian's handpicked choice I believe so, to, yeah. to, to take over his baby, his character that he kind of introduced to the world and helped define who they are. So that is a huge endorsement in and of itself. So to see that come through to fruition and to read this story and to know that it completely lives up to that alone is awesome. And then, of course, you have the story self-evident. It's so good. Speaking of writers and their babies, let's talk about New Mutants number six because Ed Brisson, he's got Jaglav. Oh, yeah. He's got Maxime. He's oh, yeah. got Menon. They're all up in here. <laughs> uh, this issue by Ed also has art by Flaviano. Colors by Carlos Lopez, letters by VCs Travis Lanham, designed by Tom Muller and Jonathan Hickman again. This, I think, wraps up a part of the story that is Earthbound uh, and has Glob and that team that has been helping out Beacon, Angel, and their children. And it is a heartbreaker. It is a brutal one. It also has a really wonderful sequence with Glob teaching Maxime and Manon, the weird kids who I will also call Lorraine and Tucker, <laughs> teaching them what they should not do when facing bad people or facing like problems with their friends and allies. When you see something, they try to solve it in a way that is not okay. I don't always give a shout out to the variant covers, although I do post them on my social media every Tuesday. There's a variant cover for this issue by Adi Granov, which is a rarity, and it is tight it is so good <laughs> next book we are journeying back to ravencroft which uh, we've been exploring the history of this place and now we are officially doing a, a ribbon cutting reopening new beginning new story new status quo for the ravencroft institute for the criminally insane here it is written by frank thierry who has taken on all of these ravencroft one shots leading up to this Art in here by Angel Enzueta and colors by Rochelle Rosenberg and Dono Sanchez Almara with letters throughout by VCs Joe Sabino. Misty Knight is in the air, I think. We talk about it a lot. Uh, I think Misty's been popping up in a 
few books lately, including in this one. And uh, we talk about how, you know, certain characters just come in for some reason and they end up in a bunch of different stories and a bunch of different books and such an incredible, iconic character. So I love this position of authority that she has now at Ravencroft. And I think there is a unique kind of contrast or difference between Ravencroft, which in my mind, I really associate with horror or the occult or these kind of spiritual, strange horror and Misty, who's like this kind of hardened cop, you know, deals with stuff in a very real blood and guts, chase him down way. She could have been uh, taking a Pelham. You're so right. You know, like Um, you could see her as one of the characters. A million percent. So to have her at the center of the story is really, really cool. Now, there is a board game that I really love. It's called Scotland Yard. May have mentioned it before on the podcast. No idea. But Scotland Yard is a uh, kind of co-op game where like a bunch of players play against one other player. There's one bad guy and then there's like four or five or three or four or five players who are playing together against that other person and that person who's playing the bad guy and is trying to evade capture by the other characters has a hat you the game literally comes with a hat that you wear so that you can pull it down low over your eyes so your so your opponents can't look at where you're looking on the board uh so yeah and that character is called mr x ah a character name that is also found here uh, in Ravencroft. Well, Mr. X in this one is a Frank Thierry uh, yes. creation from the pages of Wolverine. He's closely associated with the character of Wolverine. That is a joke only he and I will get, and he'll want to punch <laughs> me for saying it, and I'm okay with that. But he's very briefly in the book, but the instant I saw him, it made me think of in Die Hard 2, uh-huh. uh, where the, the bad guy at the beginning of the movie is in his hotel room doing naked yoga. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly that scene, <laughs> and I was for it. <laughs> um, when I have played with my friends, Mr. X, I'm talking about the board game version of Mr. X here. They will call me Mr. Excrement. Oh boy. <laughs> anyway, back to Ravencroft number one. With a place like Ravencroft, as it's been reestablished as this kind of locus of evil and strange history and a bunch of bad and, and, and dangerous people are being sent of course, there's going to be a bunch of swirling powers around it looking to harness that, looking to use that for their own might. So it's really cool to see a couple characters pop up in here. Norman Osborn, I know, is shown in preview art, or Wilson Fisk, who is featured in some of the Ravencroft one-shots. To see these really heavy hitters come and sniff around Ravencroft and uh, seeing where this issue ends and where we're kind of shooting off, it's really, really cool. It's this repository of like so much danger that knowing that Misty and company are going to have to kind of ward that off while also just dealing with everything going on there on a daily basis. There's so much going on. There's so much possibility here. I'm really excited for Ravencroft spins out of absolute carnage, as does our next book, Scream Curse of Carnage. We have issue number three this week, written by Clay McLeod Chapman, art by Gary Brown and Chris Mooneyham, colors by Rain Barreto and VCs. Corey Pettit does the letters. This one is gross. You know, it is yeah. so gross. <laughs> it has got symbiote, nasty, like symbiote monster that is way back from the original Grendel story time that we saw in the pages of Venom. But now it's this undersea just thing that calls itself it's like another symbiote's mom and there's people dying and like stuff slithering around. It like gives me the heebie-jeebies. I don't care for that part. <laughs> but it's really cool if you like your horror books. This next book is not a horror book. It is a delight. 
It is a romp. It is fun. It's everything that I could ask for out of a Peter Porker Spectacular Spider-Ham book. And that's exactly what it is. This is issue number two of this new series. It's written by Zeb Wells with art by Will Robson, colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Look, if you like the Swinister Six... Yes, wait. Let's make sure people understand. The Swinist- Swinister Six. Yes. Although... Are they all pigs? That's a good question. I don't think they're all pigs in this version. No, No, I mean, just absolutely not. Yeah. No. It's great, (laughs) which doesn't matter. They like back in the 80s, because remember, Peter Porker stories started in the 80s, not with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is something I'm learning that people don't know, Right. that we have this lineage of these stories. They were just looking for the pun. Everything else, get the hell out of the way. Give me that pun, and we are here for it. It's something animal-themed. We're good. I couldn't agree more. If it was just literally a prose list of character pun names, I'd read it. I'd love it. I'd pick it as my pick of the week all the time. It's terrific. I want to give a shout-out to the art team on this book specifically because they have to manage this cross-dimensional storyline that's going on that is starting to bleed more and more into the art styles of the various characters. The ending of that issue is fire. It is so cool. This is one of those books that I heard a pitch for where Zeb talked about it in one of the creative retreats and I was instantly so jazzed for it. So now to start seeing everything come to reality and it's all so fun, it's so delightful, it is everything that I want from a Spider-Ham story. While Spider-Ham is an interdimensional story, it is focused on Peter Porker and Peter Parker. Our next book, Spider-Verse, is also an interdimensional travel story, but it features Miles Morales meeting other Spider-Characters like Earth 31913's Spider character Webslinger, and it is written by Taryn Killam with art by Juan Gedeon, colors by Brian Reber, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Uh, man... Give it up for Taron Killam for his first Marvel Comics work, and it is a delight. Yeah. It is so much fun. It has got silly moments. I think my favorite in this issue is there's a bit where Webslinger is like talking with Miles Morales. They, they remember each other. They're having a chat, and Webslinger like whistles to get his horse to come by. The horse also bitten by a radioactive spider, just like Webslinger. So they, of course, have a bond. A mental bond because comic books, the horse, whose name is Widow, wears a mask. When Miles asks why the horse wears a mask, Webslinger says to conceal his identity. (laughs) Deadpan, full on, (laughs) so good. It is really fun. Juan Gideon's art is like gritty and it feels appropriately Western, but also Mm -hmm. very modern. It does a, like straddles that line really, really well. Great features like facial acting with characters who are wearing masks, which is a really important and can sometimes be very difficult thing. Just really love the hell out of this. Miles is in a sombrero and a poncho at one point. Yeah. Come on, give me (laughs) more of this. Good job, Taryn. I'm glad you mentioned that because I am on record, I believe, as being a huge poncho lover that's brought on specifically because of Star Wars, which is where we're going next with Star Wars number two, the second issue of the uh, new run of the flagship series. It's written by Charles Soule with art by Jesus Saiz, colors by Arif Prianto, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Luke walking through Mos Eisley, whipping his poncho over his head after he sold his speeder. 
going to Docking Bay 94. It is burned into my soul as something that I just adore. Something that I was really, really excited about for the new run on Star Wars here and, and Charles taking over is really getting into having Lando a part of the team. You know, you essentially we just do a swap, one scoundrel for another. Uh, Han has been frozen in carbonite and taken by uh, Boba Fett to Jabba the Hutt. Lando is co-piloting the Millennium Falcon with Chewie. We are still reeling from the aftermath of the events of Empire Strikes Back. As far as Luke's story goes in here, he's still absolutely overcome by all of that, still having these visions and still having these questions and still having so much that he is taking in in the after everything that went down on, on Bespin. But what was really cool and really unexpected for me here in this issue is one, we get little hints of Lando's first forays into trying to ingratiate himself, trying to do a little recon of Jabba's palace, which is really cool, something I like a lot. Uh, and we also get to see Charles uh, introducing some new characters. We see Leia and company in conversation talking to some new characters that when placed in this little moment in time and such an important part of Star Wars history is it's really, really cool. And it makes me instantly, you know, there's so much going on. And there's so much underneath the, the, the surface that I'm instantly intrigued by these new characters. Uh, they're so well-written, but I'm also instantly kind of my instinct is to be a little bit maybe suspicious. I don't know if I'm trying to outsmart the story. There's just so much going on. Credit to this entire creative team hitting the ground running with Star Wars. All right, we got to move away from a galaxy far, far away back to our Marvel Universe for Tarot, issue number two, written by Alan Davis, art by Paul Renaud, colors by Paul Mounts, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This one has Diablo. This one has Kang. This one has weird fantasy, reality, twisty, messed up stuff. Paul Renaud's art is magnificent in here. It is just like... It has an Alan Davis vibe, which is great. It makes sense, especially, you know, Paul Mount's coloring has worked with Alan a bunch of times. Uh, like, there's just something organic and cool and feels right about the art. Like, classic but modern at the same time for Marvel storytelling. You get to see Hulk in an Ant-Man costume, Vision in a Yellow Jacket costume, and the depiction of, like, mystic realms that we get in here is just bonkers cool. And hey... Ben Morse did a great interview with Paul that is up on Marvel.com right now. It's really, really cool to see Paul talking about growing up in France and being a huge Alan Davis fan growing up and then uh, finally getting the chance to work alongside one of his actual heroes in here makes reading this even more special for me. It's really, really cool. Go check that out, marvel.com. The next issue that we have this week is Thor number two. It's written by Donnie Cates with art by Nick Klein, colors by Matt Wilson, and letters and design by VCs Joe Sabino. You know, I shouldn't be surprised when this happens every time, but I somehow still am by the enormity of a Donny Cates story, but more specifically, the pace of a story by Donny Cates, because I happen to know what's coming with this story, but how instantly we're getting into some just crazy, cannot describe level, Galactus level stuff in here is so incredible it is not holding anything back 
it is something that I encounter every now and then with like serialized storytelling where in the process of consuming the thing and questioning how they're covering as much ground as they do, as quickly as they do, because we get to see this new status quo, this new relationship between Thor and Galactus. They each are bringing so much to the table when it comes to this. Nick Klein, I think, is just doing backflips here and and really making it look like nothing. There is no sweat on his brow. It is so impressive. You know, I think a lot of people are excited about this series and rightfully so. But, uh, you know, with each issue, I'm getting more and more psyched about it. And especially knowing with uh, one or two of the twists and turns to come, I, I cannot emphasize enough that this needs to be one of your reads. It is really awesome stuff. Yeah. And if you are worried about a certain four-legged character that was an important part of yes. the previous Thor run, I will not name it. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> Said character shows up here and it made the day. Yeah. It was so good. I've got uh, our producers are in here, both of them pumping their fists in excitement. <laughs> I didn't even have to say the name. They knew who I was talking about. Yep. A character who you will not know who I'm talking about appears in Weapon Plus World War 4, which is my second pick of the week. You won't know this character because it's a new character. We're breaking new ground in here. My first note for this issue is this ruled. That's it. This book punched me in the face. Holy cow. And you know why it punched you in the face? Because <laughs> the main story is written by Benjamin Bursey. Yeah. Uh, yeah, boy. Uh, it is drawn by George Janti, inks by Wayne Foucher and Mark Deering with colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. There's a second story, which we'll get to in a minute. But man, this one is so cool. The Weapon Plus program, this umbrella thing that has helped create, you know, your Wolverine, your Captain America, a whole bunch of others. There was, you know, we really started to explore this with Grant Morrison and his new X-Men run. We've explored this with other stories. We've been doing these Weapon Plus one-shots for a while. We've seen Weapon H recently, who is the Hulk Vereen of things. This one goes in a, like a real different direction. It's the Weapon Plus program mucking around with the science behind Man-Thing and taking that and trying to use it in different ways, like testing it on a, a, like an army dude. This one is more weaponized, more of a cognizant force of terror, uh, but nonetheless really friggin' gnarly. He uh, does some really wild stuff, he vomits acid on things, <laughs> love that, creates swords out of his arm, Love that. Spikes just popping out wherever he needs them. Love that. Uh, it can create gases, sticky stuff, all kinds of gross, gross things. It looks wild. The character design is really fun because it's like the like man thingy like tendrils and mustache are there, but in like a different way. He's got this very personal story that is brutal and feels very cinematic. Yes. I think that is the thing that this one felt like I was – Reading a movie. Have you ever seen District 9? Yes. It reminded me of District 9. Yeah, I can it, see that. Because that movie is so incredible, so much like weird sci-fi body horror stuff that goes for it. But there is an amazing heart to that story yes. that you really, really feel. And I've felt this story. Yeah. And then not only that first story, we have another story, which is called Weapon 2. This Second story is written by Ryan Cady, pencils by David Baldion, colors by Jesus Abertav, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Look, if you know me, you know I love brute force. <laughs> it is a little bit of irony. It's a little bit of nostalgia. It is a little bit of I friggin' love animals doing weird stuff. Yeah. And brute force is a bunch of animals with armor and weapons. <laughs> 
and look, in the 90s, we created brute force. Everybody's like, ah, this is stupid. Ha, 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 ha. And then every once in a while, we like go back to them. They've shown up in Deadpool comics. They've shown up in other places. This is a brute force story that is, there's no irony. There's no joke. It is full on. We are telling a story about brute force as a weapon plus program scenario. And what happens when you unleash a kangaroo, a dolphin, a hawk, a lion, a bear, like you have all these creatures and you give them weapons and you let them loose. It's so good. It is so good. It's it's, (laughs) like the heart you were talking about in the first story is here. And you can see it in the way that David draws them. They have emotion and there's this story that they're given, which is devastating and heartbreaking. And if we don't get a new brute force book out of this, then there is no justice yeah. in this world. Then CB Sabolsky, your reign as, <laughs> as editor in chief is a sham. Uh, all of editorial should be disbarred. They should be thrown in jail because brute force is here. And I feel really good about it. I hope, I hope, I hope everybody reads this and writes in to mheroes at marvel.com writes into twin podcast at marvel.com whatever friggin' marvel email address you have <laughs> demand more brute force because this was so good excellent i i want to give a special shout out to editor chris robinson uh, it's a chris robinson joint of course yeah, it is because exactly. it's so friggin' good exactly damn um, it chris exactly this is why i think chris is somehow like amidst all the wild responsibilities any any marvel editor has he's kind of carved out a in my mind, like a Chris Robinson kind of book, they tend to be a little weirder. They tend to be a little more esoteric pull from very, very kind of deep Marvel history. A lot of times, a lot of new characters pop up in here, a lot of new kind of initiatives, like this entire weapon plus story is, I I know he's done so much work for it. You know, I think he's, uh, he's one of the best around for it. And Hey, He's also an uh, assistant editor on X-Force, and the next issue is X-Force number six. This is written by Benjamin Percy, two in a row for Ben, with art on this issue by Steven Segovia, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I adore Ben Percy. I adore his stylings. But Steven Segovia and Guru EFX somehow unite to create such a gorgeous book. X-Force is one of the best looking series in Marvel Comics right now. There's just a visual style that's been established for it. It is super rich colors. Joshua Guisara kind of kicked things off and leveled up like crazy. We've gone nuts over Josh's work in this series. So to see that handed off seamlessly for this issue is so, so cool. It is uh, something that I think is really hard to do, but shout out to the entire editorial team, the entire creative team, and the artistic team because this book looks excellent. This issue, in a way, got to the heart of what X-Force is, what this X-Force team is, in a different way than I had seen, at least in this series before. And it was really cool because I think in prior issues, I definitely felt a real clean break between like Beast's side of Intel and Recon and Research and the kind of Wolverine side of like blood and guts go out and get things done at all costs. This issue gets into some really fascinating gray area between the two. What it really just felt like is X-Force saying there are actors around the world who aren't playing nice, who are playing dirty with 
the mutants and with the new nation of Krakoa. And this is X-Force saying, we're going to play dirty too. And that's using physical force. That's also using the power of the mind in interesting ways. That's also using someone like Hank McCoy and pushing him to new places as a leader of this team to see Jean Grey in this issue as well and how Jean kind of factors into this story, factors into the various power sets. And I mean that literally in terms of like superpowers, but I also mean that in terms of like how this team operates and how they work together in the way that they are kind of refusing to be put down or put away just because they're the establishment now. They've been established as a, a nation. It doesn't mean that they're going to give up some of the uh, underbelly of things. And so to see all of that mixed in together and see it brought to you by Ben Percy is oh, chef's kiss. So, so, so good. Uh, that one felt like it's very resonant to the overall story in a number of ways, like the bigger Krakoan mutant story, which also resonates in the pages of X-Men number five, which comes out of the same office as X-Force. And it is written by Jonathan Hickman with art by R.B. Silva, colors by Marte Gracia with letters by V.C.'s Clayton Cowles. Man, this one also does some interesting stuff with pulling from previous stories, particularly pulling from the uh, two stories by, I believe they were both by Mike Carey, the writer, X-Men 188 through 193 and X-Men 238 through 241, the second series of X-Men comics, because those introduced and expanded upon the Children of the Vault, this team of, they're not mutants, they're not humans, they're not heroes or anything, they are a bunch of people who were advanced evolutionary they used time manipulation to evolve a group of people basically 6,000 years ahead. So if humanity evolved six, for 6,000 years, what would they look like? And they would be these children of the vault who basically thought, uh, mutants suck, we're better. And they just think they were the cream of the crop and they wanted to eliminate everything. It's really fascinating to see Jonathan pull that thread, bring it into this and see how that ties into the way that Xavier is looking at how he has to protect mutant kind. And this this group here, uh, it opens with this scene of Cyclops like regretting his decision to do something to members of the mutant nation. And you see that play out throughout the story. I thought that was such a wonderful way it is called back and brought back. If you're at all interested in this new X-Men paradigm, you, you got to be reading X-Men. Yeah, I'm, I'm biting my tongue. Yeah, right? we'll like talk about it next oof, time because there's, there, there's some really cool creative choices in there that I was a huge fan of. Okay, that's what we have for individual issues on sale this week. But collections, we have in print Acts of Vengeance, Avengers by Jason Aaron, Volume 5, Challenge of the Ghost Riders, Black Widow, Widowmaker, Fantastic Four, Grand Design. Definitely pick up if you've not read it. Do it. Get on that. We also have in print collections Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, Volume 2, Hostile Takeovers, Marvelverse, Black Panther, Thor by Jason Aaron, The Complete Collection, Volume 2. Gotta get it. Thor Masterworks, Volume 19. What If Classic, The Complete Collection, Volume 3. We're getting there, everybody. We just have like 19 more Complete <laughs> Collections to go for us to have full runs of both What If series. But please do me a favor. Buy these What If collections, which means we'll make more. We'll put them up on Marvel Unlimited. It is very important uh, for me because I need... <laughs> 
multiple copies of all these stories. Anyway, on Marvel Unlimited this week, we've got a bunch that are dropping. Uh, I wanted to point out Fearless number one, which was really cool, great anthology series. If you missed it when it was in uh, when it was first released, it's now in there. History of the Marvel Universe number one. It's happening. One of my favorite things we've ever produced. If you missed it, here it is. Get on board. Also, House of X number one. It's happening. What a week. Wait a minute. We got more. Marvel's epilogue number one, which is a brand new Kurt Busiek, Alex Ross story that is gorgeous. It is set during X-Men number 98, I believe. It's the issue where... The X-Men go to New York City and they go and hang out by Rockefeller Center, like right around the the corner from where we (laughs) are right now. In that original story, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee have cameos. There's a whole bunch of (laughs) other stuff. They talk about that in the epilogue. Back matter. Definitely check it out. Uh, One more. I have to point out Valkyrie, Jane Foster, number one. One of my favorite series. One of our, I think, our favorites right now that launches in Marvel Unlimited. Plus the old stuff, a bunch of Punisher. You get about 20 classic Punisher issues from the original ongoing series as well as an annual and two OGNs. It is a dig-dang good week. Wow, yeah. All right, that's going to wrap it up for our episode now. Uh, I do want to once again remind you, This Week in Marvel is also going to have a big rundown on Marvel The End books, and it will have Chris Robinson and Jordan D. White talking about those, giving a lot of detail on the books that we've just talked about this episode. So please check that out. Tucker, this episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Jorge Estrada with the help of M.R. Daniel. Our audio development manager is Lauren Weiner, and Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. I do not see one Brad Barton anywhere. Uh, how do we what fit him into what, this? What's up with that? He's like a little birdie just hiding in a corner, waiting and tweeting and, and just <laughs> thinking about how he can get into this, this episode. He did it. He snuck his yes. way in. Tiny little uh, baby Brad Barton, two feet tall, can, can't even uh, touch his toes yet, but he is he's just getting in there. I don't know how a touch his toes ties to him being a bird, but think yeah, about sure. it. Sure. No, it counts. It all comes together. I'm very tired. I have a new baby. <laughs> I'm going to go right now. My name is Ryan. And I'm Tiger. And this is Marvel. Your universe.